All right. Well, I think we'll go ahead and get started. And uh, we've got just a few people in here. Thanks for showing up, guys. But that's okay because we record these and post them. So that's a good deal, too. Um, again, you know, we're, we're still in the kind of low zone for news from the FAA on uh, what's going on with remote ID. We, we're not, again, we're not expecting much on that front uh, until probably November, December. Um, but we do have some uh, information on what other organizations are doing to kind of push the FAA in a direction that's favorable to hobbyists. So um, at the same time, we're going to start off with something pretty funny um, in terms of drone news. So this comes from Gizmodo. And uh, apparently... Uh, I like the title. Prisons fear escape by drone, presumably because they've never seen one. Um, so the Department of Justice, uh, I guess, has released an audit uh, detailing the imminent threat of drones to prison security. Um, so I guess uh, there have been, uh, in 2020, um, there have been 57 drone incidents at Bureau of Prison uh, Federal Facilities. Oh, sorry, that was in 2019. Let me correct myself. Um, and, uh, in one case, a prison claims to have thwarted a drone attempting to carry 20 cell phones. Man, that's a powerful drone. Um, 23 vials of injectable drugs, dozens of syringes and multiple packages of tobacco. Um, so the Bureau of Prison Officials said that as drone technology evolves, uh, that future devices may have payload capabilities that could allow for lifting of an adult out of prison. So, yeah, I'd like to see that drone. <laughs> so, uh, the uh, current uh, payload capacity of an average drone is rough, roughly the equivalent to its own weight. Um, but... Uh, uh, it, it's uh, pretty interesting that they think that people are going to start escaping via drone. Um, that seems a little, <laughs> little far fetched. Once the drones start um, to be the size of a small helicopter, right? You know, I mean, at that point, why not just get a helicopter? Um, but uh, they go on to talk about the different types of commercially available drones and yada yada yada, and then as well as uh, counter counter drone technology. But uh, <laughs> yeah I, i'm with you text jet uh the absurd news is never so um so i know there have been incidents where people have dropped drugs and and uh cell phones and stuff like that in uh drones and that's why a lot of like dji drones are, are usually geofenced off uh from prisons and i believe uh, fa regulations uh, kind of prohibit that as well as many state and local uh regulations as well uh including arizona i know they have a uh no flying around prisons uh, regulations but uh at any rate i thought that was pretty funny um you know we're gonna start seeing prisoners escape via drone so that'll be super cool i can't wait till we see that um this one's pretty cute too um so this one uh creates uh the a boston startup created a drone nut uh to fly in tight spaces and there's a picture of this little thing and it literally looks like a, a a pretty thick little donut so it's got two counter rotating propellers um inside essentially a ducted fan 
so it, it's able to fit into tight spaces. The, obviously, the propeller it can bump into walls and doorways and and all that kind of stuff uh, without the drone uh, crashing. Uh, for uh, military and law enforcement. Uh, it's, <clears throat> sorry, it's only being sold right now to military and law enforcement. Um, and they're trying to make it quieter now as well. You said it has just two props? Yeah, it says two counter-rotating props inside oh. of a ducted fan. So oh, okay. I, I know a couple months ago there were a couple designs floating about that, that uh, people were testing with uh, floating small, you know, less, yeah, floating less around? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, it's not going to be super fast, but, you know, in terms of a flying camera that can fit into tight spaces, you know, it helps you kind of assess a situation. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, we've seen these before. And in fact, I think uh, this is a pretty popular design for like drone wars, um, but they're using a, a drone inside of a like a yep. tetrahedron cage. Um to uh, explore ice caves and whatnot. So this is pretty cool. Um, this one's a thousand feet below ground level um, to the Greenland ice sheet. Um, and it's... So he's, uh, he's definitely under 400 feet. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so this drone's uh, created uh, or um, made by Elios. Um, speeds up to 50... Or sorry, 15 kilometers per hour um obviously live video feedback hd and thermal imaging um and the cage to kind of protect it from the walls and whatnot kind of like the drone up but you know this one's more like a sphere drone so there you go um up next is a topic that dave turned me on to today um so this is a letter from uh wing uh, the EAA, uh, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, or AOPA, and AMA, um, they basically are, this has been addressed to um, Steve Dixon, who's the FAA administrator, um, and obviously they agree that safety and security are successful to successful integration of the UAS in the United States. But they want to make sure that we can protect the the um, protect and sustain model aviation community, um, and they say, <coughs> excuse me, they say in the letter that model aviation is a gateway for millions of people into the world of aviation, and it is critical to the future of aerospace innovation to the United States. The aviation pioneers of tomorrow, discovering flight today by designing and flying their own aircraft, often using freely available electronics and household materials. However, the proposed rule will make it nearly impossible for everyday hobbyists to share the sky. They will need to incorporate highly automated equipment into home-built models and implement manufacturing processes comparable to a commercial aircraft. These requirements are infeasible for hobbyists who experiment in their garage, buy material at the local hardware store, and fly in their backyard at local park. Which is all, you know, several of the, the key points that we and many others um, hit in our responses to the FAA when it came to um, remote ID. Um, we urge the FAA to consider alternative approaches that promote safety and security while supporting model aviation. For example, hobbyists could notify their planned flight area to the FAA and other observers on the ground via a smartphone app. 
also something that we suggested and as part of the ASTM standard uh, that the FAA, uh, according to the remote ID documents, have kind of poo-pooed. Um, let's see. Today, drone operators can fly in controlled airspace around our busiest airports by notifying their planned flight area to the FAA through apps. The FAA should be applauded for digitizing, digitizing these capabilities in an accessible way. That approach is safe, smart, and sensible, and it could apply to remote identification. Likewise, organizations such as clubs or schools should be permitted to renew and establish identification areas over time pre-vetted by the FAA. So, um, again, uh, I think a lot of this is a rehash. Yeah, well, Wing was, I believe, uh, very supportive, yeah, I was going to say, of of recreational and uh they were also very supportive of the astm standard in fact there was a video uh with wing and flight test where they were testing the astm standard um for use in remote id capable um uh you know for remote id capable flights essentially uh where basically um you would go on an app such as um, Kitty Hawk or or Air Maps, and you would basically draw a polygon and say, "Here's where I'm flying. Here's my registration number," um, and that's that. But the cool thing about that is, is you're not giving your specific location. Um, you know, we also further uh, further push that. Um, that information be encrypted and not available to the general public, but to, you know, interested parties such as the FAA or, or local law enforcement, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's pretty interesting that, uh, you know, these companies are, are pushing in that direction when they already know that the FAA has kind of yeah. pushed that aside. So yeah, what is, what is very puzzling to me is uh, all of these companies are, uh, very close and in good relations and good contact and steady contact with the FAA. They all have seats on the DAC. Yep. Uh, and you you wonder why, and we also know, as has the FAA and um, Jay Merkel has been very clear, once the rulemaking starts, the rulemaking team is not allowed to talk to the outside world. So, why would this group initiate this memo? So we'll try to find that out. But it's uh, it, it is a real puzzler. Uh, you know, is it something they want to you know, uh, put on hand when they chat with uh, congressmen and women? You know, so they can have an exhibit that says, "See, there's more backing than just uh, just us," and we put it in writing. But we'll we'll try to find out. But this was a a puzzler. Uh, so if you want a tiny bit more background information on this, the AMA's podcast from today or yesterday talks a little bit about this. Did, were you able yeah, to well, listen in? And did, they, on that? did they? Yeah, did they it's share? on YouTube. Um, Dan, did they share it? any insight as to why they... Uh, uh, not really. They just course? basically said, you know, we were talking. We've still been working on stuff since the comments period yeah. ended and we were talking with these other corporations, realized we all had the same common goals, so we wrote a letter together. <laughs> Something like that. So, okay. I mean, here's, you know, to, to kind of address kind of text jets, uh, you know, I'm not, let me double check and see if they're part of the Commercial Drone Alliance. 
Sorry that for my be, loud keyboard. That would be just wing. Yeah. All right. That's so here's a link with a timestamp about when perfect. they start talking about it. Great. Thank you. Let's see. Yep, they are on the Commercial Drone Alliance. Um, but also keep in mind that a lot of these organizations and companies are going to be attached to several different um, kind of uh, spearheading projects. And some of sometimes, and I can't, again, I'm not going to speak for Google Wing or for any other company for that matter or organization, but sometimes it could be, you know, to do similar things to like what we're doing on the drone advisory council to take, you know, something that's uh, notoriously one-sided and kind of inject a alternate opinion to that or as it, to, as it, as it turns out, a, a number of the wing engineers are also recreational drone operators. Mm -hmm. And so they, their, uh, if, uh, their RID NPRM submission was very pro uh, recreational, so we yeah. appreciate it, and I've thanked them for uh, for their support of recreational UAS. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think they do. I think they're pretty aware. I uh, spoke to the the head of uh, Wing, and this is uh, this is an effort that uh, their people feel that re uh, that recreational UAS should and can. Uh, work in conjunction with uh, um, uh, commercial uh, drones, even though you know you're absolutely right that the CDA has uh, uh, has a, lot, a number of positions that are not favorable overall. So Joshua Bardwell gave this group a hard time in his live stream on Monday because they released this press release on September 11th and thought maybe they could have picked a better day to harass the Probably, FAA yeah. than yeah. September 11th about safety. Yeah, yeah. yeah a little harsh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just, here's the deal is that I think a lot of companies and organizations are, are coming around to the realization that the recreational community is the training ground for their next, you know, corporate UAS pilots, you know, and without that, then people are going to be walking in, you know, who are interested are going to be walking into the industry with no stick time, essentially, you know, just as, as flight time is important to manned aviation and there's a requirement to get a certain amount of hours to get a pilot's license, you know, as we all know, stick time's important for learning how to fly a drone and, and being effective with it, especially when you're doing something as, as complex as mapping or uh, deliveries or, and, and again, a lot of that can be automated, but you need to understand the dynamics of the drone as well. So we're inspecting uh, ice caves. Yeah, for sure. Um, so on that same note, uh, I do have this. This comes from ABC News, but uh, Walmart has now partnered with Zipline, who we've discussed uh, in previous uh, episodes uh, regarding uh, Zipline has been a major impact player in Africa and delivering of vaccines uh, for like malaria and HIV and stuff like that via fixed wing uh, drones. Uh, so they have, they are going to be starting in Northwest Arkansas, and I think they've picked Fayetteville um, as their kind of test project. So 
Um, having that, as if you don't know about Zipline, there are a lot of hills there for sure. Um, if you don't know about Zipline, they generally launch uh, these large fixed-wing drones that have a, a cargo compartment in them and uh, kind of like a slingshot launcher. Um, they fly. Uh, they go out, they deliver uh, the package, which is usually kind of a box and a parachute kind of situation. And the drone turns around and they capture it in a big net uh, and then load it up and, and send it back out to go. So um, definitely a different type of drone delivery than a lot of people think of where, you know, we're strapping a package to a quadcopter and sending it out to do its deal. But um It'll be interesting to see, and I think they're going to start off with kind of health and wellness type of uh, products and, and whatnot from what I'm reading. So uh, pretty interesting. Let's see. This comes from Drone DJ. I have a couple from Drone DJ today. Um, in case you don't know, Drone DJ is a, a pretty uh, good site for checking on drone news. Um, so... This uh, comes from DJI, um, and they will be making software changes in the near future that will offer additional data security for users. Uh, I'm sure this is in direct uh, response to issues with the U.S. government and data possibly be push, being able to be pushed to third parties and possibly the Chinese government, which they completely disavow, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't see why DJI would do that. They are an independent company, but, um, this will allow users to kind of invoke a local data mode, uh, which means no data will be externally shared. Um, so, uh, if you're not familiar, uh, there's been some legislation making the rounds that, uh, RTF drones and, as well as components coming out of um covered country of which china is one of the leaders and right uh, and the uh, the components include uh, gimbals uh, trans uh, radio frequency uh, transceiver uh, devices cameras uh as well generally as anything with a microchip essentially uh it's, yeah and it's it's going to be difficult for uh, uas uh, manufacturers in china which of course for us is uh component you know we need the components which is uh, earlier we were uh, talking about a u.s manufacturer has a dod approval and uh, much of, of their components in their drone are china manufactured so they already have a dod approval so there must be a, a waiver process in place for yeah. what is it blue uas i think is the teal yeah yeah teal is the company and blue yeah. uas is the uh u.s government program oh yeah yeah, yeah. for coding uh, or approving uh, U.S. Yep. manufactured. So uh, uh, a while ago, uh, the Department of the Interior, which uses its drones to kind of do surveys, uh, check, uh, you know, fire fire breaks, um, and they even use them to start fires, like control burns and, and whatnot, had to ground their uh, fleet uh, because a lot of their fleet was actually uh, essentially made up of DJI drones. So... Um, and so DJI is responding with a uh, kind of government edition uh, of these drones as well as a local data user. And, and DJI did go through the effort and, and worked with the Department of the Interior and the U.S. government to kind of create 
a, a custom software package for their their drones that kind of nip this in the bud and we're still kind of going down this path so it's kind of unfortunate um but uh you know at the same time it, it's creating a space for you know some other companies so um this is so that was also new... another thing that was very very briefly touched on in the ama podcast where they talked about the ama meeting with the white house and their concerns about the regulations that they're trying to pass about uh chinese components chinese. and stuff yeah, yeah. i mean the the impact that it's going to have i i don't see a whole ton of impact on the recreational community except for the fact that a lot of these companies uh buy in bulk or 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 manufacture in bulk so let's say you're a motor manufacturer in china you manufacture motors for dji but you also manufacture motors for uh, regular FPV aircraft and that kind of thing because your factory is already spooled up to do stuff like that. Well, if you lose the funding from, if DJI loses sales, then obviously they're buying less motors, and which means the company that's manufacturing those motors uh, could possibly, you know, you know, make less or go under, and, and that that causes some issues within the the recreational community. So, you know, the impact potential is there. Uh, just through you know the string of of uh, consumerism and 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 whatnot, but at the same time, a lot of this is going to impact um, government uh, programs as well as government sponsored programs. So it could be like any any organization or school that receives federal funding, which is a lot of schools, um, would be kind of hit by this in their in their STEM projects where. You know, a lot of these motors, components, uh, uh, you know, ESCs that they're using for these uh, projects, whether it be a drone or, or not, um, could have a potential issue um, getting those components for their STEM programs. So, again, that goes back to impacting the future uh, of aviation, manned aviation, and, and even unmanned aviation, and that development in the U.S. So, uh, pretty interesting, you know, kind of ripple effects that that could have um kind of speaking of of uh that that same subject uh teal has launched um it's american-made drone um the golden eagle uh it has a FLIR uh hand-drawn uh dual camera sensor on a two-axis stabilizer does 4k at 60 fps has thermal vision um and uh, flight time of up to 50 minutes and, and can fly in speed, uh, wind speeds of up to 30 miles per hour um, and has a range of two miles. Uh, it does have a foldable arm design. Uh, it looks like the arms fold underneath as opposed to rotating kind of like the Mavic. So they probably got around to some of that uh, patent issues there. Uh, it uses a... Um, Qualcomm uh, Snapdragon 845 chip uh, to power its autonomous capability. Um, it also has uh, AES 256-bit encryption, and it also does. Uh, if I let me post the product page here, I think I have it. So it also does it does near time. Uh, what do they call it? I think it's in the controller. 
near real time. You're gonna have to forgive me. I'm sorry. Well, the encryption's got to be true real time. Yes, that is true real time. I believe uh, it's where you use a, a camera image to create a 3D map. Ah, okay. Uh, it's the freaking word. <laughs> the 3D, sorry. 3D, car 3D cartography. Yeah, basically. Um, so, you know, so, it's doing surface maps. Mm-hmm. So I can uh, generate that. It has a modular architecture, so it can be kind of uh, changed about. It has hot swap capability with components um, and uh, completely closed ecosystem. The controller that they have with it is capable of controlling more than just their drone, anything that's Mavly compatible. Um, and uh, pretty pretty interesting little little guy so um and that's a military application so so yeah right now it's focused towards military and government um in the military those, and government direction so those look like some hunk and motors so the price is probably high yeah it weighs about two and a half pounds i believe there you go so let's see i think it's got its stuff here Let's see. And then I've got, I'm sorry. Uh, this, this is something I found. This just released today. Um, and again, this is one of those things I've scanned this. Um, and, but I haven't read it in detail, but this is coming from the, uh, government Accountability Office, and this is a 20-page PDF uh, where they are going over the uh, jurisdictional property and privacy legal issues regarding commercial and recreational use of drones. Um, and this kind of has a direct impact. They They kind of, after the kind of preamble here, they go into... Uh, a breakdown of the current commercial and recreational drone use in the United States, uh, which is pretty, a little more than what we uh, accounted for during the remote ID process, but pretty close. Um, they're saying about 77% uh, of the approximate 1.7 million small UAS are used uh, recreationally, while 23% are used for commercial pro uh, purposes. By 2024, the FAA predicts uh, the recreational or the non-government use fleet will increase to about 2.3 million small UAS while, uh, with 64% use in recreational and 36% in commercial use. Um, they also go into detail on uh, the FAA's position on its authority over uh, low-altitude UAS um, operations. And they break that down a little bit. And then they kind of go into the state, local, and tribal government position on their authority. So, you know, the FAA has always said, you know, they have uh, absolute autonomy over the control over the national airspace. Obviously, state and local and tribal governments, as we've seen over the years, have implemented some uh, recreational, or not recreational, but regulations. Uh, and sometimes they're okay sometimes they need adjustment sometimes they're just horribly 
uh, infringing, but at the same time, there's a, there's this kind of power play between state and local governments and the federal government in control over the national airspace. And this kind of delves into that a little bit. Um, and then they talk about property rights uh, for airspace, and they do bring into uh, into into the argument uh, U.S. versus Cosby. Um, and a couple other things where they talk about, you know, the ability of a landowner to to dictate what's entering their airspace and not. And, you know, again, with this, and, and this has been a, a big issue with some people, but there's no definitive uh, kind of solution here. And, you know, Cosby was not definitive enough to to kind of bring in some of that. And, and they, they kind of play into both sides of the argument from that perspective. So they go into several several different parts of this and this was uh, i believe commissioned by the fa or by congress in the um fa reauthorization act Act. yep Mm -hmm. and so this is kind of their report that was commissioned there and um so we're going to dive into this a little deeper and and kind of look at this but in case you really want to see um kind of see you know, read it for yourself. You got the link there. So, um, at any rate, let's see. I thought there was the, the timing of this document, along with the FCC release that uh, the FCC put out uh, a statement that uh, referenced Section 374 in the FAA Reauthorization Act on the, and that's all about spectrum band, C band, mm-hmm. and L band. And now we have the GAO coming out and uh, questioning the authority that the FAA does indeed have the authority that they claim to uh, 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 go after, you know, just as uh, Josh was saying, that they can make laws about, uh, that the FAA has full authority to rule, make rules about all airspace from the grass blades up. So the timing of this is is very interesting with respect to the uh, imminent uh, release of the final final RID rule, or remote identification rule. So we're seeing some of these documents drop from from different agencies uh, over the past couple of weeks. We've had this, as Dave said, we had the FCC on Spectrum. Before that, we had uh, the multi agency drop on uh, uh, counter counter UAS uh, technology. Um, so we're starting to see some interesting things drop out of the woodwork uh, as we approach this RID, and um, it's pretty interesting to see kind of the direction that things are going and, and some of it was unexpected. You know, I, I wouldn't have expected a multi-agency, especially a bunch of agencies that don't usually cooperate together, working together to, to drop a letter like that. But uh, there's got to be some interesting things coming that they are trying to kind of head off at the pass. So we'll see what happens come November, December. Uh, and obviously we'll be in full, full motion on that kind of stuff. Uh, as far as news, I think that's all I have for today. Um, so the Government Accountability Office is, uh, you know, Dave, you probably know more about this than I do, but generally the the government or Congress will commission the Government Accountability Office to provide reports like this to make sure that we're moving in the right and legal direction in terms of uh, uh, legislation and, and as well as uh, giving... I would imagine regulatory bodies like the FAA 
um, some some level of oversight on what their priorities are, what they're working on, and whether they have the actual jurisdiction to do so. Right. Um, and, and so it's a, it's the um, TextJet four fifty four has a good question. Why does the GAO care? A an agency that is you know has a lot of auditing uh, responsibility. They've got procurement responsibility. So I, I and they reference the section. Uh, in, in the front of the paper where they were asked by Congress in the Reauthorization Act, I think it was Section 373 so or 375, one or the other. I'll, I'll go back and, and find out what was the mandate from Congress to the GAO that prompted them to put together this uh, study in this paper. But uh, to me, it sounds like uh, starting from a, a procurement of UAS uh, from that perspective, as well as uh, but they come right at the uh, the FAA in terms of questioning their uh, authority. Mm -hmm. So, at any rate, I mean the it's yeah. it's not a it's not a bad thing that that they do that they are involved in this. I mean, one of the the key points that generally rubs me the wrong way is that you know we have elected officials in office, but a lot of their duties and, and whatnot are spooled off to these regulatory bodies that we have, we as the people have very little control over. And so, you know, they don't, they, they are mandated by Congress to do certain things, which is kind of what the FAA reauthorization act is. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, we, as the, the people, that's where the, our ability to affect change feels like it, it, it drops off a little bit. And but it's through organizations like the DAC that we can kind of work with that regulatory body to uh, see change at, at that level and keep it from kind of spooling out of control. And the question on the screen of uh, has hasn't the FAA already won uh, a statute or, or precedence through um, court cases? And they have. And so mm -hmm. it's uh, um, it is very uh, odd that uh, another uh, eight federal agency would question uh, another agency's authority. Yep. Yeah, there, there's been a couple, and um, yeah, one of the court cases goes back to right after World War II. Uh, yep. Farmer, what was the? Yeah, case? it was U.S. versus Cosby. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Um. So, and there, I mean, even more recently, I believe there was um, the uh not to call anybody out, but the uh, one with Trappy, and I believe that was the one where they dictated that uh, um, the FAA has jurisdiction over uh, un unmanned, basically UAS and, and model aviation and that kind of thing. So, yes. Yeah, I feel like yeah, that uh, one changed a lot of things because they redefined an aircraft to include UAS. Yes, and so exactly. I feel like navigable airspace also changed because now any place a UAS can fly is part of the national airspace. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, not that, you know, again, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't know a ton about the case, but I do know some things changed around that. And that's by no means an attack on anybody um, because we love everybody. But at the same time, uh, you know, th there has been some changes from, from different court cases that, that gave the FAA a little more uh, power and which has kind of put us in the position that we're in now. So, yeah, super fun times. <laughs> uh, Dave, you got anything for us? 
Uh, I don't. We're um, well, just uh, just briefly. We're wrapping up the um, both the narrative and the presentation. Uh, I will be speaking uh, at the October twenty two Drone Advisory Committee. I've got about a ten minute slot. I'll be presenting a safety culture topic of what uh, what's uh, what can we use from general aviation or manned aviation uh, that's applicable for. Uh, to help ingrain the culture of safety in UAS. And uh, uh, I'm leading the subgroup on small and commercial. Chad Boudreaux is leading the subgroup on recreational, and uh, I participated on the recreational uh, subgroup as well. So that's coming up, and we're wrapping up the, uh, the presentation and the narrative. Uh, they will go uh, live a couple days before the 1022 Drone Advisory Committee. And uh, that should be, and that of course will be uh, live streamed, and uh, it'll be a virtual meeting. No, no face-to-face uh, -face meetings yet with the FAA, which is a smart thing. Yes, sir. Anybody I, else have? I assume we'll we'll do our best to um, publicize the DAC and the the live links and everything, so people oh, get a chance to watch it. Yeah, and they can post comments on the YouTube stream that. <laughs> Probably nobody at the DAC will be able to see. <laughs> yeah, be nice. I always wonder who moderates that stuff because yeah. usually it's it's uh... the com it's the comms folks of the FAA there, and they are uh, definitely they're a great crew and they're uh, hustling and trying to you know work through uh, uh, all the government bureaucracy to uh, get uh, an event live streamed and if anything goes wrong they they catch it and if it goes right uh they don't hear about it so it, they're a good group and and there's uh, nothing they great. can do about the comments that the the comments aren't no. usually directed at them exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah the comments on any of those are usually uh entertaining yeah, little, at, yeah, at a little, least a little harsh <laughs> yeah but you know i mean that's the thing is we got a very passionate uh a uh, group of people who participate in this hobby and i think that's important and uh you know uh passion is you know as as long as it's placed in the right direction it is a great thing so yeah, um, if the, if any serious comments do come up a good way to approach it is to send an email to the DAC and uh, ask uh, for your comments to be included in the minutes of the subsequent yep. Uh, DAC, and that at least gets some level of visibility, and uh, that's a, a good way. If you've got, you know, you're listening and it's like, "Geez, I I don't agree with that," then write it down, email it to the uh, to probably Eric Amend, the manager mm -hmm. who manages logistics for the DAC, and they'll uh, they're required to post that in the minutes of the following meeting. Absolutely. Do we have any guess when the DAC's going to announce new members? Is that before the we October meeting or at the October meeting? Usually at, uh, and so I'm I'm hoping that uh, they do announce on 10:22, and we'll uh, we'll hear if uh, if uh, I'm accepted or uh, who they've accepted to the couple of open slots. They'll yeah. add a dozen new recreational representatives, right? There you go. <laughs> I think there's what five slots open. So yeah, yeah. For your first, I read five, then three, then they said several. So yeah, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll see what what comes to pass all right so well we'll be there uh obviously cheering dave on for his presentation um because uh he usually does a great job and and he definitely did a great job with his last presentation so um but at the same time 
I think that's all we have for today. So I will give you back the rest of your evening. Uh, finishing a little ahead at 13 minutes before the hour. But uh, I do appreciate those who have attended. And I do appreciate those who will watch or listen later when we post the podcast. Yeah. Does any anybody else on this call have any questions or things oh, yeah. we should let me, look let into? Let me just not cut or... anybody off. <laughs> Apparently, you've just got something better to do. You're ready to go. No, not at all. <laughs> I, I, I segment my time. I, I go, you know, half hour after. It'll be fine. So. Anybody? No? I Apparently guess we've I already answered all their questions. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, guys. Thank Have a great everyone. night. And stay Thank safe, you. everybody. Goodbye. Absolutely. Thanks. Take care. You too.